Happy Sabbath. How many of you have been blessed by the music here? Amen. By the way, just a reminder, there's a concert, 4.30. I love the Revelation of Hope singers. I was so blessed to know that they were able to come with me from Central California to be able to minister to here, to you, to Loma, in Loma Linda. Why don't we start with the word of prayer? Let's ask God to bless us in a very special way. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for being the light of the world. And like the Bible says, the light that lights every man or every man's world. Jesus, we just thank you that you are a bright light in a world full of darkness. And thank you, God, that you are leading us safely home if our eyes are upon you. Jesus, we pray and ask that you would bless us in a special way, that you would share with us your faithfulness and your goodness and your righteousness. We also pray for the greatest of all teachers and preachers, the Holy Spirit to be present. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just a special thank you to Loma Linda University, Advent Hope, and Campus Hill Church. We have been tremendously blessed. Although I miss my home church series where I pastor at, it is still a, a wonderful experience to be able to be here, to meet so many wonderful people, and to eat some very good food. The closest thing we have to healthy food in series Modesto is Taco Bell. So that lets you know what kind of health community we really are. But I'm really blessed to be here. I'm really thankful that God has been sharing some wonderful things during this restoration time. I'm also going to be sharing my testimony this morning. It starts off like this. I was born and raised in Southern California in 1979, which makes me the age of 34. I'll be turning 35 this year. The gray hairs are starting to pop out over here, some on my beard, and even in the unibrow as well. And uh, I was born and raised between two different cultures. You can obviously see that I'm Indian, but I talk like a Westerner most of the time. Down in Southern California, Orange County, which is just about an hour from here, I was raised in a very traditional Indian home. I'd go outside and it was a very Western world. Inside my house, India. Outside my house, Detroit. That's the way it was growing up. I come from a very interesting kind of culture. Uh, my parents immigrated a year before I was born, 1978. They came from Punjab, India. And I come from a very interesting kind of religious background. My family is Punjabi. They also would go to the Sikh temple occasionally on Sundays. I used to wear the Sikh bracelet as well. Um, I also come from a Hindu background as well. Inside my home, there was various statues and idols, and uh, we would go occasionally to the Hindu temple. I also come from a certain sect of Hinduism, something that is called satsangi, which is considered a kind of philosophy that emphasizes certain thing in Hinduism, and that is meditation and reincarnation. So I grew up a vegetarian. I knew about haystacks and potlucks well before I became an Adventist. And so I knew all the lingo. And so this is how I grew up down in Southern California. 
Inside my house was a very traditional home. Outside was a very Western culture. My family was, uh, as I said earlier in one of the meetings, very academically inclined. My oldest sister went to law school. I have two sisters that are doctors, another sister that's an accountant. I have another brother who just finished up his master's at USC. So my family, at a very early age, was taught to value education. My parents, for fun, would take us to the library of all places. It's Indian family. You get a B plus, you're in big trouble. They notice nothing but the B plus, even though you get rest of everything else being A's. And so this is kind of the, the background that I came from, a very uh, traditional Indian mindset. And uh, being here in Loma Linda, I've come across a lot of Indian people, South Asians. I'm really glad that you are here. It's good to know that uh, I have brothers and sisters here as well. But what was very interesting growing up is that I was somebody who was sort of like the black sheep in the family. You know, while everybody was studying, I would oftentimes be playing video games for about eight hours a day. And that did not warp my brain. Yeah, right. And so this is how I grew up. I didn't do very well in school. In fact, I was very nominal, very average. My sisters were doing my dad's taxes in their preteens. That's the kind of family that I come from, stressing high educational values. And then there was an Elkanda. And so as I was growing up, I would oftentimes be thinking about bigger things in this world. I'd also think about what was my purpose in life? What was God wanting me to understand? In my house, there was these pictures of these various gurus who had long beards and big bellies. And I'd always think to myself, is that God? But you see, this is how a lot of people growing up don't understand who God really is. This is the only picture they have about divine things. And so based upon that picture determines also their behavior or their religious inclinations. This is why sharing the Bible with people is extremely important because it opens up the most beautiful picture of love there is, there is on earth. Can you say amen to that? And so when I was age 13, I began to do something very interesting. Every year around August time, down in that little city called Artesia, they would celebrate India's Independence Day, okay? And they would have this huge Indian fair. There was Indian boots. You wouldn't see any other kinds of Americans except for Indians for miles. And so every year around August, I would go through these various booths at this fair, and I would get all the free things. I loved free things. I'd go around with this little bag that said, I love India. And I would go to one booth, and it would have Dr. Singh's medical practice, and here's a free pencil. And I'd get that pencil, and I'd go to Mr. Patel's tax service, and I'd go to that booth. And I'd get all sorts of free things. But something unusual took place at the age of 13, something I never forgot. I was going around this fair one year, and as I was making way around the booths, getting all the free things, all of a sudden, I came across an unusual kind of booth. It was shaped like a small boat, and there was little stairs leading into this small boat. And I'm scratching my head, I was with my little sister, and I was thinking to myself, what in the world is this little boat doing in the middle of this Indian fair? So I went inside, and I went inside, I never forgot what I actually witnessed. It startled me. This is what I saw. An elderly Caucasian lady, giving Bible studies to young Indian children. I have no clue how she even got on the property. <laughs> it 
was some kind of outreach ministry. And so I sat there with my little sister. I had no clue what she actually said, but I do remember one thing, and it was the appeal at the end of her little Bible study. She said this, who wants to accept Jesus in their heart? Nobody raised their hands. So she said it again, who would like to accept Jesus in their heart? Nobody said anything. And then finally she, has, she says, whoever would like to accept Jesus in their heart would get this free Bible. And I only heard one thing, and you know what I heard? The word free. <laughs> so I raised my hand. I actually have that Bible still today. And it says, Anel Kanda, the year he accepted Christ. <laughs> I have no clue what I was doing at that time. But I took that Bible and I said, oh, I got another free book. I actually put it in a bookshelf and I continued to grow up between two different cultures, oftentimes being confused and seeing the Western world and then the Indian culture. But then something took place when I turned 18. I got my brand new, I got my own car, wasn't brand new. It was a Buick Skylark. I started college and I decided that I was going to be more intelligent than my sisters. My sisters who were racking up bills at universities, I decided that I was going to go to community college and then transfer over to university. Let me tell you something, I spent four years at that community college. <laughs> four years. Four years before I finally transferred to Cal State Fullerton. Four years of my life in that community college. But something was taking place during that time when I was at community college. Oftentimes I would sit in class, I was extremely bored of the teachers, and that never happens here at Loma Linda University, amen? And so there I was, I was just listening to the teachers over and over lecture, and I was extremely bored. And so I decided to go to other kinds of places. One of the places I decided to go, of all places, was the library. It's like my safe retreat. So I went to the library and I pick up different books and I would spend hours just reading and studying various kinds of literature. I also was somebody who had a lot of heart longings at that time and I was wanting more than what I saw because what I saw was simply to get educated, get a job, get a family, and then die. That's all I saw. And I could not see past that point and to me, my life felt like it had no purpose whatsoever. Nothing worth living for. I was just somebody in the midst of millions or billions of people. What would my life even matter to this world? And my heart was really yearning for something more than I saw and more than what I was experiencing. And so I began to experiment with all sorts of different things, reading books on spiritualism, reading books about religion, reading all sorts of things. And during this time, I was beginning this time of searching and trying to understand what reality was truly all about. I actually came across a very unusual book. This book was about end time events, about prophecy. And so I picked up this book, and as I began to read this book, I began thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we are living at the end of time. And the book said something very interesting at the library, it said this, that there will be a so-called mysterious end-time figure who would show up at the uh, very in the end of the apocalypse and he would lead the world into deception and he would be called the Antichrist. Now let me tell you something, I didn't know a single thing about Jesus Christ, but I was very curious about who this Antichrist figure was. And so what I did is I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I wonder who this antichrist figure is, this evil villain who's going to show up. And one day when I was lying in my bed, I actually came to this epiphany. I said to myself, it's Saddam Hussein. 
In my foolishness, God was still working. Amen? And so I thought to myself, I have to tell everybody about this. And so I went to my work. I just started a work. I started working at Kmart. It was my first job. I know some of you shop there, so it's okay. And so what happens is I would go into the break room and I would tell people about this great epiphany that I had. And I would say things like, do you want to know about end time events? And they would say to me, what, do, what is it that you have? And I would share with them in very interesting ways. I would say, it's Saddam Hussein who's going to bring the end of the world. And they would stare at me and they would just say, well, that's nice to know. Do this about four or five times until one day there was a new person who started working at my job. He was about six foot six. He was an African American, big fro, 300 pounds. He walked in. I even called security on him the first time. <laughs> he eventually became my best friend. Came in there. We have sound effects here at Loma Linda. That's wonderful. <laughs> he went in there. He came into the break room. I went to the break room, and you know what I did? I walked over to him and I said to him, do you want to know about end time events? He said, yes. And then I said, I know who the Antichrist is. And he stopped what he was doing and he looked at me and he says, then tell me. And I said to him in very solemn tones, Saddam Hussein. <laughs> and what was so funny, without even batting an eyelid, he says, no, it's not. And you know what he began to do at that very moment? He took out a Bible and began to share for me Bible prophecy. This was the first time someone actually engaged me in the Bible study. And so I began to pick up the scriptures with him, and he began to share with me biblical prophecies that were so powerful, that were so true. You know, one of my interests in college was art history. I studied the Renaissance age. I was very much interested in that kind of culture at that time. And so I was well aware of what took place during the Protestant Reformation. And as I was learning these powerful things, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is history, put it pro forma over prophecy, and it makes clear sense. One of the reasons why I love the Bible, as I said earlier in one of the presentations, is that the Bible is a real book about real people who had real experiences in real locations with the real God. And that is what makes the Bible so unique from any other kind of uh, religious literature that is out there. Even the writings of Buddha are just writings written supposedly about what Buddha might have said. They were not the original writings of Buddha. In fact, when you go to the Quran, the Quran in its original Arabic language is not allowed to be scrutinized. I have a book. I found it and on Amazon and it's called 23 Years About the Life of Muhammad the Prophet. Ali Dakshi wrote that book. He's now dead. They killed him because he was somebody who was actually scrutinizing the Quran. In fact, one of my friends who's Iranian, I showed him that book and he got very scared because he said, whoever has that book will be killed in Iran. But what makes the Bible so interesting is that it has been scrutinized, it has been examined, and it has been interrogated. We probably should just move that somewhere else. <laughs> so. It's okay, no worries. <laughs> but here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible is a very special book. Now pay attention to this because you don't want to miss these things. The Bible is so remarkable because what you find in the Bible is a portal between you and God. You find the words of God written there for us that give us life and spirit. Through the Bible, God wants to lead us to who he is and what are his objective thoughts. Oftentimes, our feelings will waver. Oftentimes, our circumstances will change. But the Bible is so extraordinary because there you see a solid affirmation about God's thoughts towards you. 
Can you say amen to that? If I want to know God loves you, oftentimes I may one day feel it, another time I don't feel it. But when I go through the Bible, I find God's consistent thoughts, they're planted, objectively stated, that God has loved me with an everlasting love. That's why God gives us his word. It's so powerful. And so as I begin to grow up and as I begin to study the Bible with my friend, what was so interesting about my friend Abraham is this. His mom was actually praying for him. He got into a lot of trouble growing up, went to academies, even got kicked out. His mom had been praying for him that he would be able to find somebody who he could witness to. And God sent me as the answer to that prayer. <laughs> and so we begin to talk and dialogue. I begin to ask so many questions. And oftentimes while we were in the break room or go outside, push some cards, hang out, get some lunch, he would share with me things from God's word. And that is what is so powerful. I was beginning to see things from God's word. And the remarkable things about Adventism was that I was able to go home and check out the things that I was learning. What makes Adventism so unique is that it's dialogical. There's discussion and dialogue. You're able to examine. There's nothing that says, hey, you must believe this with the only tools and you cannot go outside and examine or criticize or scrutinize whether or not this is true. Beautiful thing about truth is, it's like a diamond. The more you scratch at it, the more beautiful it becomes. And that's why it makes so Adventism so beautiful is that it is scriptural. And from this, I was beginning to learn the Bible and know more about God and his ways and his plans. Unfortunately, at the same time, I was not the best communicator of these things. I was learning how to do these things, and oftentimes with my family, I would not be the best kind or the most tactful kind of communicator of God's word. Oftentimes causing issues and troubles, altercations would take place. My family is full of a lot of devout Hindus and Sikhs, and so there was oftentimes many arguments that would take place. One day I made a decision to be baptized with my friend Abraham. He wasn't even baptized yet. I was actually being won by an unbaptized Christian. You know, it wasn't some powerful preacher like Mark Finley or Doug Batchelor or somebody else. It was a lowly, struggling Adventist kid that won me to the Lord. And that just gives me hope for you guys too, right? God can use anybody if your hearts are open and you're willing to risk it and be courageous for God. My friend wasn't the best communicator of great truths, but here's the thing, he was willing and the Spirit of God was using him. And every day you need to make it a special kind of prayer. Lord, I want to give all my plans to you. I want to seek your will. I want to let your providence dictate what should take place. That doesn't mean you shouldn't plan, but it does mean that you submit all your plans to how God wants to lead. You know what is so interesting when you read the book of Esther Esther is a very unique book the reason why is because the word God is not mentioned anywhere in the book for a book of the Bible that seems kind of strange doesn't it out of all the books of the Bible this very interesting book here does not mention the word God but that's intentional because what the Spirit wants you to do is as you're examining the book of Esther, you begin to see the extraordinary in what appears to be just the ordinary. The book is about providence. And as you're reading and examining the book of Esther, you begin to see God working behind the scenes and through providential ways. 
and every day you commit yourself to God, your life will be like a book of Esther. You will see God working in very explicit ways. You'll see God working powerful ways, and then you'll see God working behind the scenes. But it starts every day when you give your plans to God. Can you say amen to that? And so as I was learning these great truths after I got baptized, all of a sudden, my dad passed away. Shortly after, first funeral I went to was my own father's. And in the Hindu culture, there are certain days of the year that if someone dies on one of those days, your family is cursed. And so my uncle, very concerned, actually dispatched a Hindu priest who came at my father's funeral and began to do a counter spell or a counter chant to what was taking place. For me, after just becoming a Christian, after just being baptized, this was very much a confusing time for me. I was learning these great truths. I was trying to grasp and understand who God is, having a relationship with him, and I was learning these things, and then all of a sudden I was hit with this very tragic moment. In fact, the rest of my family was present when my dad passed away. I was the only one who was not. My dad was somebody who was very spiritual. He was a very devout Hindu. He was somebody who had multiple idols. He even had an idol of Mary and Joseph there too, missing the baby Jesus. When I was younger, my dad would oftentimes have us watch movies about Jesus Christ during Christmas time. One time I went to the park with him and he actually, there was an outdoor service. He went to the outdoor service and sat down at the outdoor service and listened while I was playing in the playground. I actually found out my dad, when I was young, would take me to this particular church on Sundays because they had this special kind of activity, discovering later on that it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And so my dad passed away. One of the last questions he asked me, one day as we were driving, he said to me, hey, would you ever take me to your church? But I was very scared of sharing my faith with my family. I was worried about what might take place. But I trust that God was working in my dad's life. And I leave my dad's future up to God. And I praise God for the way that he worked through where my dad was at to lay a spiritual foundation to take me to where I am at. God is faithful, amen? He is the light that lights every man's world. And so after this time, there started to be a lot of more problems. A lot of my uncles said to me, hey, you need to start working on Saturday. You need to support your family. You need to stay home. And I love my family. I love my uncles. But this was just a very difficult time for me. Just imagine being a Christian, just getting baptized, and all of a sudden this onslaught of things begin to take place. Anytime you make a step towards Jesus, the devil will attempt to make two steps towards you. He's perfectly happy with you being comfortable in where you're at. But when you say, Lord, I want to be uncomfortable for you, you will see what will take place. But take this as evidence God is working in your life. If the devil is so angry about it, it's because God is doing something special. And so as these things were taking place, one day I began to pray and I said, Jesus, I said, Lord, if you want me out of this home, you're going to have to show me because I can't survive here as a Christian too much longer. Went downstairs right after praying and my mom was actually taking off my house key. I said, okay, I'm leaving. And I love my mom, and my mom loves me. And, uh, but this was a time that was very difficult, a very dark time for me. So I've lived with my friend Abraham, sleeping on that couch. And one day we begin to pray about what God wants us to do in the future. 
dropped out of college, dropped out of Cal State Fullerton. And I was thinking one day, maybe I'll go to law school. My parents were thinking, maybe you should do computer science. It's an Indian thing, I guess. <laughs> I did a series in Mountain View, uh, Silicon Valley, and if you ever want to see another India, you go there. And so this is what I was praying about. And in the middle of the night, I was praying. And I was just praying and I was saying, God, show me what you want me to do. I want to do your will. And I had to keep surrendering my ambitions, my plans, surrendering everything, laying it on the altar. And all of a sudden, when it was just a little bit past midnight, the answer came. And it was so random, the thoughts were so contrary to the flow of my thoughts, I knew this was God speaking to me. And all of a sudden, I was impressed with the phrase, missionary school. I said, missionary school of all things. Told my friend Abraham, he said, let's go talk to the pastor in the morning. It was, Cal State, it was actually the Fullerton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Went to that pastor, and we said, pastor, we're interested in going to a missionary school. In my mind, I was thinking, okay, mission work, natives, spears, running for your life, smuggling Bibles in. That's what I was thinking, mission work. I said, I don't live at home, this is my life now. And so then, as he began to talk to his board of elders, you know what this church did? This church was so invested in the lives of young people, they put out $10,000 for two young adults that did not look like good Christians. We went to this little school. It was called the Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. It was just a four-month school. We got enrolled there. We were completely unlike everybody else there. And we got there and we began to learn so much about evangelism, so much about the Bible, and I was really impressed with this idea of Christian education. I said, this is wonderful stuff here, and I want more of it. I came to the end of it and I began to pray. I said, Lord, I want to go to college. I want to be educated. I have a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of purpose, education begins to make more sense. When you read the book Education, she actually hones in on this special kind of point, that when you understand purpose and the purpose of God, all of a sudden your education will have a new kind of life for the glory of God. I want to go back. Last time I was in a kind of Christian class was actually Cal State Fullerton where the class was about Christianity. And I got there thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a devotional class. I got there. This teacher was just ripping the Bible apart. I actually dropped out of the class because I was so discouraged. But after AFCO, I, I began to pray and I said, God, where do you want me to go? I applied to every Adventist college in America, Southwestern, Union, Southern, Andrews, PUC, La Sierra, you name it, every one of them. And every one of them came back with the reply, yes, we'll accept you. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> But there was a stipulation, and the stipulation went something like this. I thought to myself, I'll be a very uh, brilliant young American, I'll apply for financial aid. Apply for financial aid, at that time, if you were under the age of 24, you needed your parents' signature. And I said, okay, my mom is not going to sign this paper. She's already very angry at me. There was a lot of problems. And God was still working behind the scenes. But I said, okay, God, 
you want me to go to school, you're going to have to open the door. And so I was praying and I was like, I wonder how this is going to take place. I began fasting and praying. One of my good friends said to me, they said, hey, you know, there's another little college around town. And I said, what's that? And they said, it's called Weimar College. And I've seen Weimar students before. I wasn't entirely impressed. <laughs> I'm just being very honest with you. <laughs> and so I, I apply, and the same issue, you're going to need some money. And so I was thinking to myself, well, I'm in the same problem. I begin to fast and pray, and the day the money was due, I remember I was just kneeling there in prayer where I was staying in this little room. I was either going to go back home and lose my Christianity, or I was going to go forward with the plans of God. So I was just sitting there, laying down on the floor, and I was praying, and I was pleading with God, and all of a sudden, I get this call from one of my Bible students, and she said this, I have money for your college. I said, are you kidding me? She says, no, come on by. And so I raced over there. I was able to actually get into my first semester. I actually met one of my good friends, Miguel there, Miguel Serrano. Actually, the first words that he could say when I met him, came straight out of Mexico was, my name is Miguel and where's the bathroom? <laughs> we gave him a fourth grade Bible. Let me just tell you about Miguel right here. Within a few months, he mastered the English so well, he was saying vocabulary words that were well beyond any of our mental encyclopedia. Then I heard about him. He was actually at Southwestern and became the, you know, student president there. And I'm thinking to myself, Miguel, the same Miguel? But that's the power of God's word. That's what it does. It enlarges the mind's capacity to receive knowledge and truth. Somebody says to me one day, they said, you study a lot of philosophy and now, how can I learn about philosophy? And I say this, philosophy, the word philosophy is breaking apart of two words, phileo, love, and sophie, which means knowledge, the love of knowledge. You want to learn about the love of knowledge? You start reading the Bible. That's where you'll find the love for knowledge and wisdom and truth. And so as I begin to go to Weimar College and I begin to pray, I said, Lord, you haven't provided all the money for me, but we're taking this semester by semester. And every time we'd come to the end of the semester, we were always afraid of going into the financial department. Secretly, the students had this term and it was called the execution office. Because we knew that if we went to this office, some of us may not return. And we were called into this office at the end of each semester and we were made aware of the debt that we had and the money that would be required to enroll the next semester. I never forgot, I came to the end of that first semester and I began to pray. I said, Jesus, where do you want me to go? I don't have money. And it was so remarkable, one of my good friends said to me, hey, you need to start doing call portering for the summer, selling books. And I grew up going door to door selling those little chocolate bars. I said, I'm not gonna be selling Christian books. Ultimately, God led me through a time of conviction. I decided I'm going to do this. I got there. I even wept the first night. This is how much I didn't want to do it. Got there. I was older than all the 15-year-old kids. I was half their, twice as old as they were. I got there. And you know what began to take place? I began to sell books. Didn't really make that much as I was selling books. But I came to the end of that summer and I said, God, I did what you wanted me to do. I knew this was your will. I did it and I was faithful to it. And I came to the end of it. I didn't even make enough as some of the nominal sellers in that uh, group. But I said, okay, God, your will be done. At the end of that summer, trembling, I picked up the phone to call the finance office. 
And when I picked up that phone, the woman in charge, she was a very delightful woman. She said, hello, Anel, I'm so happy to hear from you. And I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> and I was about to give her the news. Hey, I didn't really make that much to pay off the last semester even. And she says to me, even before I can say anything, she said, well, I have some good news for you. I said, what? This is exactly how it went. She said this, the day that you actually left for the summer, I got an anonymous call. She says, I did not know this woman. She called anonymously and she paid off all of your last semester. And then she says to me, you want to hear something even more crazier than that? And I said, what? Somebody else just called right before you did and is offering to pay off next semester. And I thought to myself, whoa, this is an incredible affirmation of where God wants me to be. But it was a scary time, like a rubber band. I was being stretched in my faith, being stretched more and more. But the rubber band was getting bigger and bigger. But I was trusting God. And oftentimes, I would be led to points where it was just like, God, there is no money here. I'm about to be kicked out. What do we do? And God would say, go forward, trusting that I have called you here. Go out there. I wonder, remember Miguel, one day we were actually had, neither of us had money to enroll for this one semester. We walked into the finance office scared and trembling after we spent 20 minutes praying, confessing our sins. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> he remembers that. We both walked into the finance office and we were praying and then all of a sudden the finance lady, she was a very sweet woman, she said this to us. You know, I've looked at your lives and I have seen the way God has led in the past. I know he'll provide. And she actually let us register. We were able to register. And what was so interesting, God would do miracles like this over and over again to show me this is the path he wanted me on. One time, I was coming down to the end of my uh, two years there. I just had all my cre credits transferred over. Two years left before I get my bachelor's in pastoral ministry. Coming down, there was this bit debt getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Went to the finance lady's office, and I said, I don't know what to do. She says, we're going to pray. And we got there, and we prayed. And then she says, I'll just contact you later. I walk away. And then she calls me exactly one hour later where I was working. She says, I have something to tell you. She says, uh, she says to me, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? She said, again, I just got a call from somebody, an anonymous donor. She says, I did not call this lady up. And she said, she just called me and she wants to pay off your debt. And then she said something. The lady told me something so remarkable. And I said, what? She said she was praying one hour ago and she felt impressed to call. You know what we were doing one hour ago? We were praying too. See, when you're worried about your situations and your trials and your troubles, God calls you to pray. Sometimes we think of it as just something that is uh, isolated for just the prayer warriors that meet in the den of the church. But you see, God calls everybody to be a prayer warrior. Can he say amen to that? And if Jesus, who was somebody who was perfect and was trusting in God, saw the need to pray, how much more should we be praying? A lot of times we're looking for sort of the externals of Christianity, but what we need to learn is the internal aspect of Christianity, which is the heartfelt relationship with God that takes place through powerful, devout, consistent prayer. Can you say amen to that? And God will lead you experientially. One day, as actually was, I was driving a car. I drove this old Honda Accord. It was this really beat up thing. Bought it for $500. And I was driving it to work. And all of a sudden, right before I, anything happened, I turned on the radio and it was a Christian radio station. And the person on there said, here's a special verse for you. 
says, be anxious about nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will fill your hearts in Christ Jesus. And I thought to myself, praise the Lord for this special verse, and all of a sudden, the car stopped working. <laughs> the car actually stopped working while we were driving, while I was driving. I could no longer steer it. I was just... And I was trying to turn it into the side of the road. Turned it into the side of the road. Wasn't making much money after I graduated, but I was like, okay, God, you give me this verse. And right now I'm going to claim this verse. And I said, Jesus, I'm just going to thank you for all the trials that are happening. All the situations that are taking place. I'm going to praise you because you're doing something out of this. Never forgot. After that, I had to start walking to work three miles. And some of the church members will go by, hey, Pastor now. None of them picked me up. <laughs> I just love walking three miles to work. And so I was doing this, look at this. I was doing this for about a week and a half, okay, of just walking every day to work. I was talking to different people on the way there, saying hi to people. Hey, Joe, the mechanic, good to see you. Hey, Ron. And so I was doing all these things, developing an interesting relationship as I was walking. One of the church members said to me, they said, hey, we got a little Jeep. You can borrow the Jeep. It was a Rubicon Jeep, beautiful Jeep. And so here we were. I was in this Jeep, and I was driving it for about, you know, several weeks. I was getting used to stick shift again. I was driving an automatic for a long time. And one day, this family says to me, they said, hey, once you come over, we're going to exchange a car. You can drive a different car. We need to borrow the Rubicon Jeep. I said, okay. Went to their house, walked by their different cars, came inside where their kitchen was, and they said, what do you think? And I said, think about what? The car we just got you. It's like, you just got me a car? Like, yeah. Go outside. And I looked. There was a Beamer. There was the Jeep. And then there was a VW Beetle. <laughs> it was the black VW Beetle. But let me tell you something. That car was so faithful. I mean, sure, it had a feminine edge to it, but I mean, it was a really faithful car. <laughs> It was a very faithful car. I was driving this car to work. You know, people make fun of me occasionally, but that's okay. I was able to get from point A to point B. Amen? <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I know God's in charge of my life, and he will provide what's necessary for me to do what he's called me to do, and he will do the same for you. And so here I was. I was going back. We're going to rewind a little bit to the end of college. I was praying. I said, God, I don't want to put out even a single resume. You may say, that's foolishness or presumption. I was trying to trust the Lord. And so I begin to pray. I say, God, I'm coming to the end of college. Where do you want me to be? And all of a sudden, I get this call. We want you to be a youth pastor in Arroyo Grande. I said, okay, I'll do this. A year and a half. It's coming down to the end of the year and a half, and I was praying and I'm pleading with God. I said, God, where do you want me to be? I'm getting different offers. Even the church wants me to stay. I said, but Lord, you show me. I want to do your will. And I made that declaration, and I was determined to do it. And all of a sudden, I get this call from one of my friends. He says, Where they, we started this evangelism team that's going to travel around, and we want you to be an assistant to the leadership, and then we want you to be the leader the following year. And so I did that for two years, traveling around, speaking at various academies and places and churches, venues. And I was learning more and more about evangelism. I was coming to the end of that, and I said, Okay, God, I am making this determination again. I want to do your will and nothing but your will. Choices were coming, but I was praying, and I said, God, I am not going to trust man on this issue. To me, the most important thing was doing what you have called me to do. I get this call. 
It was an official call from one of the churches in Central California. And they said, we've just received the okay from the, the conference president. We want to hire you as the associate pastor of the series Seventh-day Adventist Church. I knew God was opening that door. So I went in there. I was pastoring. Wonderful senior pastor by the name of Keith Mulligan. Getting to work with him. And the church began to blossom and grow. And then just two or three years ago, I took over as the senior pastor. And it's just been a remarkable time. Now God is blessing our church. We're thinking about church planting. We're wanting to extend the borders because we really believe in evangelism and the calling that God has upon his people. Amen? Amen. We're living in very special times and God wants us to participate, not be spectators in all of this. Right? And so as these things have been taking place, I just praise God because he is faithful every step of the way. You know what's so interesting? When you read the book of Genesis, you read the first few chapters, a great disaster is about to come upon the world. God tells Noah to build a boat. He gives him the size, the dimensions, tells him the material, even fills it with the contents. If you were to take that boat and you were to take it to a modern-day boat builder, and you would say, what do you think about this boat? They would tell you, this boat will sink. Well, why? It has no motor, no sail, no oars. It doesn't have any of this. But what is so remarkable is that was the only boat that survived. You want to know why? Because God was the one that was leading that boat. You know, many of us have been hearing powerful truths and whether you've known these truths as you've grown up, or perhaps you're just learning these things now, God is calling you to make a very special step. The reason why is because He wants to begin special phases of His plans for your life. You may think it was coincidence that might have brought you this restoration series or brought you to Loma Linda. It might have been your own choice. But what you don't understand is that there is a special force working behind the scenes, ultimately through providence, to lead you to a beautiful picture of who God is, to begin a forever relationship with this God. And as I look back at my life and I see all the providences that have taken place and I see what God is now doing in my family's life and my church's life, I praise God for that. But I do know this, he is not finished with me. Just as he is not finished with you. And if you're somebody who is thinking to yourself, what is my purpose in this world and exists existence? Now is the time that God is wanting you to recognize who he is so he can begin in a very special way to work with you to accomplish the purposes and plans for your life. God is a very special God. And His Spirit is coming upon this world in a powerful way. There's not too much time left. The signs all around us are getting crazier and crazier. Even people who are not religious are seeing something is not right with our world. Sociologists are scared because of what's happening to society. Biologists do not know how to understand what's taking place in nature. But all these things, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of that distant trumpet that Jesus is coming soon. And he wants to come for you. That is his ultimate goal and priority. But now is the time that God wants to get you ready. Amen? Now is the time that God wants to get to know you. 
people who are lost at the end of time is not because heaven did not have a place in their heart for people. It's because people did not have a place in their heart for heaven. This is the time that God wants to work in an extraordinary way. And as you commit yourself to Jesus and allow him to do that special kind of work every single day. Don't wait till you're 80, 90 years old to allow a special work to take place. Now is the time that God is wanting to work. You know, I've been reading the book of Luke and Dr. Luke's gospel is so powerful. Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three interesting parables. The first parable he gives is the parable about this lost sheep wanders off. And what is so remarkable about this, Jesus says when the sheep is found, all of heaven rejoices when a sinner comes back. But Jesus doesn't stop there. You know what he does next? He gives another parable about someone lost inside the house. And then he says at the end of it, when that coin is found, he says, and the angels of God rejoice when one sinner repents. But he doesn't just stop there. He then gives this final parable and he describes both cases of somebody lost outside of the house and somebody lost within the house. And ultimately, the pattern of that scriptural passage is leading us to understand that when there is repentance, the one who rejoices the most is more than just heaven, more than just the angels, but the Father. But repentance is a lifelong process. It's not just when people get baptized, heaven rejoices, but every step that you take towards Jesus and every movement that you make towards God, all of heaven is cheering and worshiping God because of what's taking place. A sinner is being redeemed for all of eternity. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God works in us today. He pours out his grace in us today that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his kindness. In other words, God is working in you today that for all of eternity that you may share the goodness of God. God is working with you with as eternity as a perspective. That's powerful when you begin to realize that. And perhaps you're learning these things for the first time or you're wondering to yourself, God, where are you leading me? God is calling you first to make that decision, to open your heart to him and say, God, I want your will to be done in my heart first. Thy will be done. And as you begin to daily submit yourself to God, you will see slowly but surely, God's purposes and plans begin to unfold in a remarkable, beautiful way. We're gonna be doing something very special to have some people pass out some cards. And as these cards are being passed out, it may seem to you just like a piece of paper with no value to it. But here's the thing. It's a kind of tangible decision you're making, but it's reflecting an intangible kind of decision, an eternal kind of decision. The Bible tells us about angels that are by our side, that minister to us, that lead us to certain points and conditions and phases of our life and our existence so that we are able to take a step forward in faith. And when we don't take that step forward, ladies and gentlemen, we'll find ourselves taking a step backwards. God is calling us like never before to make these decisions. If we can pass out these cards right now. 
And I want you to see something on these cards as they're being passed out right now. If we can hurry up and pass out these cards, that would be good. This is a commitment card. Commitment card. You may have already made a commitment to Jesus, but I know there ain't no chariot wheels waiting for you outside to take you to heaven yet. Repentance, sanctification is a lifelong process. One that doesn't take place in an hour, a moment, a day, but takes place throughout all of eternity. But it doesn't begin when eternity starts at the second coming. It begins today. And as you make those steps towards Jesus, and every step God has been leading you to make, and you go forward in faith, trusting in Him, ladies and gentlemen, you will find God blessing you. Take a good look at this commitment card. Take a good look at these options. I would like to accept Jesus' sacrifice as atonement for my sins. If you've never accepted Jesus in your heart, never really prayed that prayer, God, I want you to be my Savior. Now is the opportunity that God has given to you. This series is a time where God is opening up special windows of opportunity, where His Spirit is being poured out in a powerful way. Make that decision. As a lowly Hindu, I made that decision. And I have seen God do something so special and life-changing. The one my heart was truly searching for began to reveal himself as I opened up my heart. You want to get baptized or rebaptized? You've been thinking, Lord, you've been working in my life. I want to make this decision. I don't want to back off. I want to go forward. Then you mark that as well. I want to make this decision. Perhaps you're somebody who wants to receive personal Bible studies. You're like, I want to learn more about the Bible. I've loved what I've been learning, but I want to be able to sit down and learn more. We're here to help you. Restoration is here to help you. Advent Hope and other people are here to help you. You marked that and you said, okay, God, I want Bible studies. I want to learn more about you. It's that important, ladies and gentlemen. You will find this will be the greatest thing that you could ever do for your life. Want to join a Bible study group or join a prayer group? You mark that as well. Still feeling things out on the sidelines. That's okay. You mark that. Let God begin something new. The church, as one preacher put it this way, is the invisible gospel made visible. And the church will do everything they can, everything that we can to help you in this journey of life. You want to get involved in ministry? You mark that as well. God has called us to continue. And the greatest praise you could bring to God is the life that is full of consecration and selflessness to His cause. That is the greatest cause, whether you're called to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever you're called to be. But if you want to bring the greatest praise to God, you mark that and you say, God, I want to minister for you. I want to minister for you. We want to help you in this journey. Don't wait. Jesus said, tomorrow is promised to no man, but today he's given to us. And we want to walk away knowing that we have made every decision possible for Jesus. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I know sometimes there's a fear of committing ourselves wholly to you. A question of whether or not it's safe. But I thank you, Lord, that you are a very safe God, one who is trustworthy. God, I pray for those who are in the valley of decision. That's every one of us, Lord. 
We just pray and ask that you would help us in this journey to continue to follow you and to make steps in this walk of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you will complete the work that you started in each and every one of us. If, Lord, we keep you always in the proximity. Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day of rest. May every person leave full of the spirit and the goodness of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.